The reading for today is from Isaiah chapter 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I'll give him a, a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life until death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Good morning, everyone. This morning we're going to be going through Isaiah 53, and this section of the Bible absolutely amazes me. One of the many reasons why is because we see very clearly, centuries ahead of time, God's plan to rescue humanity through the sacrificial death of his son. With that in mind, I want to start this morning with a bit of a story. So, it's two weeks ago, I was driving to work, I was thinking about the day ahead, I was thinking about everything I had to do in the weeks coming. My mind was racing, there was a lot happening, and my mind almost couldn't stop, it couldn't focus. Until I was driving over the Spike Milligan Bridge as I was about to enter into Woi Woi. And I saw something very strange. There was a tall man in a yellow Teletubby outfit sprinting along that bridge with the words on his telly belly, Are you okay? And I burst out laughing. It was just so unexpected, so strange, so bizarre, and I was thinking about it all day. I realised later that night that I didn't know how badly I needed that to happen until it did. 
Today, we're going to be looking through Isaiah 53, looking at Jesus' life and death through the prophetic lens of the Old Testament. And as we slowly and carefully look through this passage, I think it's helpful to slow down, to think. For some of us, we're very used to thinking about Jesus' life and his death. We're very used to coming to church, hearing about his crucifixion, the way he lived, the way he died for us. And it's my hope that just like me seeing this strange man running along the bridge and not realizing till later that night how badly I needed that to happen, it's my hope that as we slow down and look at Jesus' life through the Old Testament, that we won't realize that this was exactly what we needed, to slow down, to look at Jesus in a new light. So as we're going through this, I want us to be, and we'll be focusing on This enigmatic figure of the suffering servant will be looking at the Messiah who was to come. And I want us to be asking, who was this prophesied Messiah to be? What was his life all about? As we do this, we'll see that the Messiah was foretold, and yet he was unexpected. The Messiah was foretold in that he was prophesied, And yet he was unexpected in that the Messiah and the suffering servant were the same person. They were one and the same. It was Jesus. (laughs) Before we move on, it's worth noting a few things about this wonderful part of the Bible. So the book of Isaiah was written 700, roughly 700 years before Christ's time on earth. It was written and composed in the midst of serious geopolitical conflict. A great superpower had risen and was threatening Israel. They as a nation were about to be sent away into exile, away from their home. This section that we're looking at poses deep theological questions that an exile living in a strange land might ask themselves. We ourselves might ask ourselves this question too, at least once in our life. That question being, how can I be made right with God in light of all the wrongs that I have done against him. This morning, we're going to be looking at a few key points that touch on this, as we ask, how can I be made right with God in light of all the wrongs I've done? The first point will be looking at Jesus as the promised servant, as the one who is meant to be rejected and suffer. And in the second point, we'll be looking at the no one saw that coming moment in salvation history. So first up, Jesus as the promised servant who is meant to be rejected and suffer. The last three verses of the previous chapter, chapter 52, are the beginning of this section of this poem. To summarise the opening, the poem begins on two notes, on a note of triumph and a note of shock. It tells us that this servant, who we know to be Jesus, will be wise will be raised up, highly exalted, and that even kings will submit to this servant. And it tells us, that's the note of triumph, and it tells us on the note of shock, that many will be appalled at him, that his appearance will be so disfigured beyond that of any human being, his form marred beyond human likeness. God's people, the ancient Israelites, were expecting their Messiah to be a conquering king, a militaristic leader, one who would establish an everlasting kingdom. 
They weren't entirely wrong in that Jesus did do just that. But it didn't happen in the way they were expecting it to. It happened in the form of the suffering servant that we're looking at here in Isaiah 53. Messiah came in the form of the suffering saviour who dies for the people who rejected him. So, after this opening, the ending of chapter 52, we move into the opening of 53. And Isaiah moves into explaining what the rejection of this servant will look like. He says here in verse 2 that the suffering servant will grow up like a tender shoot and a root out of dry ground. This metaphor emphasizes the adverse way in which the Messiah would appear. When we think of a plant thriving, it's not in a dry and barren environment. The Messiah, therefore, shouldn't have been expected to come like a stereotypical leader. He won't be like those who came before him. The Messiah didn't come as a wealthy, powerful leader with an army. He wasn't like a well-watered plant in a field near a stream. Rather, he came as a humble carpenter, born to a poor virgin. He was a tender shoot out of, out of dry ground. Which is why then Isaiah goes on to say in verse 2, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. There was no earthly reason why Jesus should have had a following. He had no power or wealth. He had no army, no traditional majesty or beauty. And then Isaiah identifies this suffering servant as one who is despised by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. We're told many years before Jesus' time on earth that the prophesied Messiah, the Lord of all, was to be the one to suffer for all. The saviour of all was to be rejected by all. Have you ever liked something that is genuinely good, but is generally disliked by all? My wife, Ash, has been a big fan of Australian musician Delta Goodrum ever since she was a little girl. You can pick on a later for that, don't worry. Many people feel an aversion towards Delta Goodrum. Some even become a bit hostile when, when she's mentioned that you like her music. However, she is a genuinely talented musician. <laughs> and the crazy thing is that although she's rejected and disliked by a lot of people, there is no denying she's talented. Just as with Jesus, there was no denying his goodness or his divinity, even though he was rejected. There was... No denying it for them and no denying it for us. He is rejected, but he was God. Even though Isaiah said of the servant that he was like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem, he was still the Messiah. He was still the Lord of all. It was prophesied that he would be rejected by all and he would suffer for all. But it wasn't unexpected. It was prophesied some 700 years before. It has always been God's plan to reunite us to himself through Jesus, his suffering servant. 
Jesus' suffering and his death was not unexpected. It was foretold. And Isaiah goes on to explain what the suffering servant will look like and what he will accomplish. From verse 4 we read, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him stricken by God, sorry, punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. As we think of the suffering of Jesus, it's very easy to let this just fly over our heads. We hear about it week after week after all. Some of you may even be thinking, all right, you've told me he suffered, now move on. It's so easy to undervalue how immense a moment in human history this was. Fleming Rutledge's book, The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ, is especially helpful in this regard. Of the crucifixion, she says, Crucifixion was a means of execution in the Roman Empire, and it had as its express purpose the elimination of victims from the consideration of as members of the human race. It cannot be said too strongly that was its function. It was meant to indicate to all who might be toying with subversive ideas that crucified persons were not of the same species as either the executioners or the spectators and were therefore not only expendable but also deserving of ritualised extermination. In further describing the dehumanisation of the crucifixion, she says it was a form of advertisement or public announcement. This person is the scum of the earth, not fit to live, more like an insect than a human being. The crucified wretch was pinned up like a specimen. This is helpful, powerful imagery. The crucified person wasn't seen as a human, but an insect. That was the suffering that Jesus took for us. For all the wrongs we've done or will do. For all our transgressions. Transgressions is a word often used in the Bible, but we don't use it in our daily language. It has this idea behind it of crossing a line. So Jesus took up our pain and the death we deserve to die on the cross, and he bore our sin and suffering, not just for the sins that we consider to be the worst, like murder, abuse, adultery, but all sin, even the less obvious ones, ones that we all engage in, whether we think about it consciously or not, like doing what's good, but for the wrong reasons like serving others to be seen by others rather than doing it for God's glory, like feeling emotions like lust, bitterness, anger, jealousy. All sin is sin. All sin is something that the just, righteous Lord of the universe cannot let go unpunished. And thankfully, Jesus himself takes that punishment for those who believe in him. This is the good news of the gospel, that you, a sinner, 
can consider the punishment for all the wrongs you've ever done or ever will do paid for by the death of Jesus. Which is why when we read from verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. His suffering is what brings us peace. It's like a mother giving birth, pushing through the pains of labour, because the joy of a new life and a bigger family is on the other side. So too Christ suffers to bring us new life and to be a part of his family. If you're not a believer and you're here with us today, can I encourage you to hear this good news for the truly amazing news that it is. Know that Jesus died to forgive your sins, to make you at peace with God, and to bring you into his family. Know that this news is not just for the believers in this room, but for every person in this room, because we're all in need of a saviour. If you are a believer, can I encourage you to see the death of Jesus with fresh eyes. Look at the suffering he took on for you. Look at the length that he went to make you right with God, to bring you peace with God. Grasp this glorious reality with both hands. Be desperate to know Jesus better. Don't become numb or complacent to his suffering. With each new day, be thankful that he suffered in your place so that you don't have to. Because as we read in verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Again, I saw all the church kids laughing at that part just now. We're all in need of a saviour. No one is better than anyone else. We are all sheep who need a shepherd. So turn away from living life your own way. Turn to Jesus. The Lord has made a way for you to live life for him. And that's to trust in Jesus. The prophesied Messiah was meant to be rejected by those he was sent to save and suffer in their place so that those who believe can be forgiven and find peace in him and then live to glorify him. Which leads me to my next point. And that is the no one saw that coming moment in salvation history. So we've seen throughout the talk so far that the gospel is the good news that Jesus was rejected by those he was sent to save, that he suffered and took up their punishment, the punishment that was meant for sinners like you and me through his death. Now we're going to see that there was an expected outcome and an unexpected outcome in this story. We'll see in verses 7 and 9 that the suffering servant was going to suffer. That was the apparent expected outcome. And we'll see in verses 10 through 12, there's an unexpected outcome when it comes to the prophesied Messiah. So first up, the expected or apparent outcome. That is, that the promised servant was to be unjustly treated, oppressed and die. This death, on at least the surface level appears at first to be in vain. The crucifixion of Jesus was, as we have discussed, a humiliating, dehumanizing, and dishonorable way to die. It is mind-boggling to think 
that the one through whom the universe was created and is sustained allowed himself to be treated this way. And it was all to make a way for us to be made at peace with him. It was, it was all for us to be able to glorify him. We know Jesus was sinless and perfect, and we see in these verses many ways in which his expected death would be unjust. In verse 7, we see that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Rather, Jesus allowed himself to be led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. This imagery of the lamb evokes these Old Testament symbolic ideas of innocence and sacrifice. One life given for another to purify a sinner. And yet, no one defended him. He was innocent and no one defended him. He is oppressed and afflicted and denied a fair trial. As we read in verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. No one protested. The crowds screamed for his death on that day. No one held back. That is the apparent outcome in the death of Jesus Christ. He will be oppressed, afflicted, He'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter. He wouldn't open his mouth in protest. He would be punished for the transgressions of many. He'll be killed in a painful, shameful way. But now we come to the unexpected moment. That is that this was actually all God's will for this to happen. God was not out of control in this situation. As we read from verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This is something that is really hard to fully comprehend, to wrap our heads around, that it was the Lord's will to crush his son and cause him to suffer. But it was for an amazing purpose. As we read on in verse 10, we see through... Sorry, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. The the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Jesus' death was not an accident. It wasn't out of God's control. Jesus' death was God's will. And because of his death, if you believe in this, You are adopted as God's children. You're adopted and brought into his family. You are made at peace with God. That's how Christ's offspring become many. God's offspring become many. Christ lives forever now. That's how his days are prolonged. In verse 11 we read, After he suffered... After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. After the rejection, the suffering and the death of Jesus, 
comes the unexpected glory of the gospel. My righteous servant, the suffering saviour, Jesus, will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. There is no more powerful message than this. There is nothing in the world that is greater than this. Than to know and love and believe in this truth is truly amazing. That Jesus, the Son of God, the one prophesied throughout all of Scripture, was to suffer for all. The servant of all was to suffer for all. He is the one who was called to bear our iniquities and transgressions. He is the one through whom many will be justified and made right and made at peace with God. The apparent outcome in this story is that Jesus would suffer and die. The no one saw that coming moment was that he wouldn't stay dead. That is the light of life that he sees in verse 11. That is the thing that is satisfying enough to die for. Have you ever been expecting something, but then something unexpected happens? And the result is far better than you initially anticipated or hoped for. I mentioned earlier that my wife Ash liked Delta Goodrum. Well, last year, as a surprise, I bought us two tickets to go see her live in concert, so you can pick on me later too. Due to lockdowns last year, this was postponed twice, but we finally got to go and see this concert at the beginning of the year. My expectation was that it would be a wonderful experience for Ash as she's a big fan, but I hadn't really gone out of my way to listen to much of her music. I'd heard Ash play it around the house, but, you know, I hadn't ever delved into Delta. (laughs) I knew she was talented, but I didn't realise just how enjoyable that night would be. The unexpected happened, and the unexpected was far more pleasing than I'd initially anticipated. Now, most of us here, as I said, have heard the story of Jesus' life and his death and resurrection countless times. But it's worth being reminded that the most amazing thing to ever happen was the most unexpected thing to happen. Jesus now reigns forever in eternity. His portion is among the great. He died an apparent expected death and then he rose from the dead. And he now makes intercession for those very transgressors who have faith. And there are two things that I believe we can take away from today. One is that you can live for God and his ways. It's my hope that after today we'd either understand for the first time or afresh that we're all sinners, we're all unworthy of forgiveness. Thankfully, though, we are saved by grace. We're saved by his death and nothing that we have done. All of us deserve to die the death that he did. However, if you have faith in Jesus, in the death he died to take the punishment you deserved, then his death becomes your death then we can live for him as those bought by the price of his blood. So live for God. 
This is something amazing, that you can live for God and not for your own selfish desires or sin. I want everyone in this room to seriously ask themselves today, how can I live for God? If you're believing in Him, think of something. If you're not believing in Him, come to Him in faith. And then do it. Put in the work. Because Jesus paid the price for you to be able to. And the other thing is spend time with God. Know that Christ is now actively working as the one who intercedes for those very sinners who believe in him. From the end of verse 12 we read, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Know that Jesus, the one who died to make you at peace with God, if you believe in him, he is your intercessor. Know that Jesus is pleading your case to the Father. When Jesus is your defense, there is nothing the accuser can do to condemn you. That's why we read in Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you can have a hope, a comfort, and a security in Jesus that nothing else can offer. You can spend time with God, free from all guilt and shame and condemnation, because he is your intercessor. He makes you right before God. So think again, to spend time with him regularly. Talk to him in prayer. Sing songs of praise to him, which we'll do in a minute. Read his word so that you'd know him more deeply, not just to tick a box. And share the good news of faith in Jesus with others, because you know how good this faith is. There was an expected or apparent outcome in the death of Jesus. That is, that the innocent, suffering servant would indeed suffer and die in the place of guilty sinners, And there was an unexpected, even greater outcome in this story. That is that it was God's plan for Jesus to suffer. But Jesus wouldn't stay dead. His death paid the price for us to be made right with him. And his death is counted as our own death when we trust in him as he intercedes for us. And we are counted as innocent before him. Today we've seen who the coming Messiah was meant to be. We've seen that the Lord of all is also the servant and sufferer for all. In the first point we saw that Jesus was the promised servant who was meant to be rejected and suffer. And in the second point we saw there was a no one coming, no one saw that coming moment in which it was God's will for him to suffer and to be resurrected. We saw that God was in control of everything that happened. The Messiah was foretold, and yet it was unexpected. He was Lord of all, yet to suffer for all. He was to die for sinners, and yet not stay dead. We've seen that his death makes us at peace with God. And his resurrection is our hope, and it's our security, and it guarantees our eventual resurrection too. This week, can I encourage you all to take hold of this? to trust in Jesus 
as the one who brings you peace and makes you at peace with God through his death and resurrection. This should affect all that we do as we live for God and spend time with God. Please join with me as I pray for this now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus was always your plan for salvation. That he was the one from the all of scripture was pointing towards. We praise you, Father, that you are in control of his death. That you are in control of all. We praise you that the Messiah was foretold and yet there are unexpected elements to it. We thank you, Lord, that all these things are still true. We thank you that Jesus now intercedes for us as our saviour, as our mediator. He makes us at peace with you and brings us peace with you. I pray, Father, that we'd see his death and resurrection this week through fresh eyes or with brand new eyes so that we can see how wonderful it is for us. That we didn't have to suffer the death we deserved, that he did. That he brought us peace through that very painful death. I pray, Lord, that we would now be thinking of ways that we can live for you. Because we have seen that you have made a way for us to do so. I pray that we'd be thinking personally, how can I spend time with you in ways that I'm currently not? Whether through prayer, more free, praying more frequently, through singing songs of praise to you more frequently, through reading your word, Lord, not to tick a box, but to know you more deeply. And through sharing this good news with others. Because people desperately need this news, Lord. And I pray that we would see his death with fresh eyes this week. And that we would take hold of the good news. That we would trust in Jesus as the one who brings us peace and makes us at peace with you. I pray that this will affect all that we do, Lord. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.